You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom. So glad to be back with you. In a few short days, the 2020 Oscar season will blessedly come to a close with the awarding of, yes, the Oscars. It is the shortest Oscar season in history, I believe, because they moved it up a few weeks, and that doesn't mean it was any easier. We're concluding a pummeling gauntlet of lesser award shows, events, receptions, and screenings that kicked into gear pretty much around Labor Day. But for the streaming services that have weaponized the rewards process for their own marketing purposes, there's not much rest ahead, no matter how draining the past few months have been. Where once the film business heaved a collective sigh and headed to Palm Springs or Jackson Hole for post-Oscars R&R, there's no such break in streaming land. Unlike the traditional Hollywood studios where film was film and TV was TV and there the twain shall meet, and there the twain shall meet, because each had largely their own award season with the exception of a couple of crossover uh, events like the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes, Streamers, by contrast, care little about old-school media divisions. What they do care about is getting as much awards recognition as they can. Those awards and the endless conversations about awards contenders leading up to the ceremonies convey a sense of quality programming to subscribers who must pay up each month. It's a strategy that's been hugely profitable for pay TV king HBO the past quarter century as it racked up dozens of Emmys and billions of dollars in subscriber fees. Whether the same approach will work for the revamped HBO Max, which is set to launch in April with a remit to pump out far more programming and yet somehow keep it all super quality, will play out over the next couple of seasons. Uh, My own thought on that is it's unlikely to work out, but we'll see. In the meantime, plenty of others are already in the awards game and spending a lot of money to make it all happen. It's been particularly important for Netflix, otherwise vulnerable to being dissed by its competitors, for offering huge amounts of not very remarkable shows. If they salt in a few award winners here and there amid the monthly flood, it communicates quality, a useful thing to communicate when people are being asked to pay up eh, 13 bucks or so a month, particularly amid all the competition now out there and on the way. Netflix first hit awards pay dirt with 2013's House of Cards. The political thriller featured David Fincher as executive producer. He actually won an Emmy for directing that first amazing episode. And starred Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright, who both won Golden Globes and were nominated for multiple Emmys back in those days when we still liked Kevin Spacey. Netflix's other prestige hit of the era, Orange is the New Black, lasted longer and didn't win nearly as often, but it was a consistent contender throughout a 91-episode run. Pulling in Emmys and Golden Globes was a good first step for Netflix, but beginning in 2018, the streamer escalated its awards regime, setting its sights on the big one, the Oscars. First, it hired the entire organization of Lisa Tabak, who had consulted for such Oscar winners as La La Land and Spotlight with her own firm for about 15 years. At the same time, Netflix acquired a handful of serious contenders for Oscar fame. Roma by Alfonso Cuaron, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Coen Brothers, and Bird Box, directed by Suzanne Beer, who, among other things, had created the amazing The Night Manager uh, limited run series that won uh, Golden Globes and Other Glory, and also directed an Oscar-winning foreign film for Denmark, and another that was a finalist, 
for Denmark. The film also starred Sandra Bullock, among many others, in an all-star cast. And then Netflix did a remarkable thing. It put those movies into theaters before showing them to its customers. That was a radical shift for Netflix. But along the way, that approach qualified the films for Oscar consideration and moderately, and I emphasize moderately, appeased film purists and auteur directors alike. Even though the theatrical runs were short, no more than a couple, three weeks, and limited to a few dozen screens because of opposition from the big chains, they also tapped into the publicity and media engine surrounding every week's film releases and the even bigger engine around Oscar contenders. Netflix also backed its contenders with serious cash. For Roma alone, Netflix spent an estimated $50 million or more. I've heard numbers as high as $70 million, but it's hard to know. Pushing an unprecedented Best Picture win for a foreign language film. Roma fell short of that lofty goal, but still won the foreign language Oscar. And Quaron won for directing and cinematography. A pretty remarkable three-peat there that was worthy. It's a beautiful film, and I have to say the outcome was not bad indeed for a black-and-white period piece in the Spanish and Mistec languages, featuring a first-time actress playing a maid in 1970s Mexico City. Netflix also won Oscars for Buster Scruggs, which got a screenplay Oscar, and a documentary short from the kids over at Oakwood, uh, the private school in North Hollywood. While horror film Bird Box, a genre pick, no doubt, became one of the service's most watched features when it came out a year ago at Christmas time. This year, Netflix went even wider with its theatrical strategy. It gave 10 films limited theatrical releases of as much as a month. Among those getting the treatment were two eventual Best Picture winners, Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach and The Irishman by Martin Scorsese. There was a documentary feature nominee, American Factory, which uh, came by way of the Higher Ground Productions company owned by Michelle and Barack Obama, and two animated feature nominees, Klaus, and the truly strange and beautiful French film, I Lost My Body, among 24 nominations. They also won some other stuff. Klaus and I Lost My Body won Annie Awards for their different categories, uh, the the biggest awards in the animation field. And we've seen lots of other uh, victories, though not so many uh, this year as in times past. So we'll see how they do. They had a bunch of Golden Globe nominations and didn't get very many out of it. But again, some of this is about getting the recognition and having the conversation go on for months and months and months about your contenders. After Netflix's big push in the 2019 season, Amazon Prime Studios created its own in-house awards team halfway through that year, headed by Deborah Birnbaum, a former Variety and TV Guide top editor. That team's arrival was far too late to make a significant impact last Oscar season, especially while Prime Studios underwent a major strategy shift under new studio head Jennifer Salke. But it likely paid off during the 2019 Emmys, when Fleabag won Outstanding Comedy Series and five other statues, and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel picked up eight more awards on top of the eight it won the previous year, including that year's Outstanding Comedy Series. Birnbaum had less to work with this Oscar season after Amazon's handful of feature acquisitions, including the underloved uh, Late Night with Mindy Kaling and Emma Thompson. But they all largely underperformed at the box office and never took off as contenders. Don't expect that situation to stay that way. I suspect at this point Amazon will take some of its many billions of dollars and spend more of it on acquisitions, 
If the buying frenzy at Sundance is any guide, this year's Emmy and Oscar season should be even more hard fought. Uh, not just Amazon and Netflix, but new services such as Apple TV+, Plus, which already has won a couple of nice awards for the morning show, with Jennifer Aniston winning a Golden Globe and Billy Crudup winning a much-deserved SAG Award. I really love his role, by the way, in that show. It's a, definitely a, an engaging, if uh, flawed, um, soapy tale about Me Too in the uh, morning news business. And uh, Crudup's character just chooses scenery with the most joy imaginable. I totally recommend it if you're on TV+. Anyway, we'll have Peacock rolled out. We'll have uh, HBO Max rolled out. Quibi will be doing whatever it's doing in the mobile short episodic space. And we'll see how it all plays out. Disney Plus, of course, will be also in the game. At the festival at Sundance, which just concluded over the weekend, most of the big services acquired multiple projects for prices up to a record $17.5 million. Documentaries such as Boys State were particularly hot. An example of both changing audience tastes in the streaming world, where an audience can be found among the millions and millions of viewers, and a growing understanding among the streamers themselves that Oscars look really good on the corporate mantle, regardless of the category they win. At least some of those Sundance pickups will likely contend in 2021, especially as newcomers figure out their own awards strategies and teams. Count on 2021 to be one of the most competitive and endless award seasons ever. That should comfort you as you get ready for Emmy season, which kicks in right after South by Southwest in just a few weeks. Anyway, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, David Bloom, and I am so grateful to have you with me on this audio journey. If you like the show, please rate, review, share, subscribe, all those things that feed the magic algorithm machine and let people know that maybe they should check it out too. If you really like my show, go to anchor.fm, which both hosts and syndicates my show across 10 platforms. It's owned by Spotify and bless them for all the things that they do. Um, But one of the things that they make possible is the ability to be a supporter for my program. It's a little bit like what Patreon does. And you can kick in a few bucks to keep this well-oiled media machine rolling, and it would be greatly appreciated. You'll get your shout-out online, and uh, my eternal gratitude. If you have a comment you'd like to share, Anchor.fm also makes it easy to leave an audio response to this podcast. You can uh, say some cool things, and maybe I can work it into the next show. So try that one out, too. Thanks so much again. I hope all is well and that you have survived the Oscar season. If you'd like, leave me a message about how you're surviving. You can reach me, as I said, with an audio comment on anchor.fm, on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom, and on Twitter at David Bloom. And I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, get ready for your Jackson Hole reprieve, but get back out there on the Houstings. It's almost award season again. This is David Bloom for... Bloom in Tech, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.